Hi there, and welcome to another life-giving sermon podcast from Resurgent Church. At Resurgent, we endeavor to bring a word that is both encouraging and relevant to your everyday life. So sit back, enjoy the sermon, and for any more information, check out our website at www.resurgentchurch.ca. The uh, title of this whole series this month is called Too Legit to Quit. Too Legit. Come on, somebody. Too Legit to Quit. And my subtitle for, the, for today is The Legal and Royal Right to Rule. Talking about Jesus' legal and royal right to rule that then He gives us out of relationship and the context of uh, who He is and what He's done in our life through salvation to be able to have the legal and the royal right to rule what God's called us to rule in our lives and through our lives and who He is and how we're reminded of not what we've done, but what He's done. Legitimate, that He is legit. And I want to share this morning, not just sort of great thoughts from the Bible and ideas and about Jesus, and I love all of that and, and Scripture, but how He actually is legitimate to be the Messiah. Because many times we haven't looked at it from that perspective, that there was actually a lot involved for Him to actually become who He became on earth. I'm not sure about you, but I grew up with movies like Excalibur and movies where it was like the lost king or the lost princess or the lost queen and they didn't know where they were. There was war and they, you know, grabbed the, the chosen child and snuck them away and, you know, put them with somebody normal and average and a bit boring. And, and then this kid would grow up with this sense that there was more on their life. And so Excalibur for me, which many of, well, there's actually a lot of my genre in this room. So you might remember there was a couple of moments you had to fast forward, but over Overall, a bit of a dark movie, but it was all about King Arthur. And when Uther was killed and the evil witch Morgana tried to take the chosen child away and the child was taken from memory. It's been a long time since I watched this movie. And probably now if I watched it, I'd be like, this is so lame. But as like a, you know, an eight-year-old and as a teenager watching it, I think over my VHS tape, it was so worn. Because we were a VHS family. My other friends were like a beta family from memory. And so watching it over and over again where it's like all scratchy through the... And again, some of you in the room are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's okay. You just missed some of the best generations or best decades of planet Earth. But that's okay. The 80s. Amen. And 70s. Amen. Amen. And so I remember seeing this movie and I, I sort of got this thing in my spirit that maybe I'm like, you know, adopted. I had some friends that were adopted and they seemed to have like cool stories and, you know, and, and how all that worked and felt. And I definitely looked at my brother and thought, he's got to be adopted. <laughs> he doesn't even look like us. Looks vaguely, you know, like the postman growing up. I'm not sure. And so... We, we used to tease him about that. And I was the third child, so I thought maybe I've been switched at birth. There was this great destiny on me. And seeing Excalibur that, you know, eventually he thinks there's this greatness about him, sees a sword and a stone, pulls a sword out of the stone, and of course becomes King Arthur and all of these things. Has anyone ever felt at some stage in their life that there's something, there's got to be something super special about me that's different from everybody else? Can you give me a wave? Come on, all of us have a moment in us that's like, I'm sure I'm Superman. 
I'm sure like I'm a superhero that nobody knows of yet. I'm sure like this power is going to come out of me at some stage and I'm going to change the world. I actually believe it's God-given. Not Sorry about superpowers other than Jesus. I obviously don't believe that, although I love watching the movies about that. That there's a seed of greatness and destiny in us. That uh, there is something great that He's interwoven in us since, you know, uh, the, cre- the dawning of time. I believe that. And there was about Jesus and His story that's interwoven through Scripture. We can look at His and forget that God's interweaving our story through history. That sometimes we're here and it looks a bit boring and a little bit average and a little bit ho-hum. But we don't realize, or maybe there's been some pain or some things happened that we, you know, weren't in control of. And we're like, God, did you leave me? You know, God, why did I do that? How come this happened? But we don't realize right over here that there is this amazing moment that God is interwoven through all of this in our life and many other little moments through it that we'll look back and go, wow, I'm so glad I didn't quit. So glad I didn't give up. Come on, do I hear a good amen? Amen. That's why pain, and I'm going to do a whole series at some stage on pain and suffering, and I still want you to turn up, okay? (laughs) Because we love all the good stuff, but the New Testament talks about these things. And I think sometimes preachers are too afraid to share these things, feeling like the church isn't going to show up. But we don't want just a church that understands success and and, uh, prosperity and excitement, but don't know how to deal with pain. Because a lot of the time to get to prosperity and success and, and uh, a spirit of joy is you've got to go through a lot of pain to be able to get there. So who's going to turn up if I do that? I know I'm going way over my time and I've got a lot to do. Half of you, thank you. Well, the rest half, Holy Spirit will tell you that you need to come as well. If you're one of those, well, I just believe in faith. I believe in faith too, but it's in Scripture. So we talk about these things. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. She will call his name. This means something later on in my message because it comes through her. And Emmanuel means God with us. That's who he was. It talks about it in John. Like he literally moved into the neighborhood. Grace and truth turned up with us. Is a well-known prophecy of the Messiah given about 700 years before Jesus was born to Mary. The son will not only be born of a virgin, but is Emmanuel, which means God is with us, as quoted in Matthew 1.23. Isaiah 9 verse 6 to 7 goes on and says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us. And the government, not just like, you know, this government, but the government of creation will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, well, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, mighty God, comma, eternal father, comma, prince of peace. Therefore, there'll be no end to the increase, prosperity, beauty of his government or of peace on the throne of David. Now we bring in David. I mean, God's really complicating this whole story. Like you think he'd just make it easy, but he's complicated the whole thing, made it like pretty much impossible to be able to pull off to show that he's God. God loves showing off for all the right reasons. I love that. On the throne of David. So he's got to come through the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Now, righteousness means right standing with God. So he couldn't just be a great person. He had to have the perfection of God. From then on and forevermore. Not just like good for a generation, not good for a decade or two. You know, we're talking like forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
carries a passion, the passion of the Christ. In this well-known prophecy of the Messiah, almost given 700 years before Jesus was born to Mary, the child to be born, who's also the son to be given, is called Mighty God, Eternal Father, and no one who rules over, and sorry, and the one who rules over all, in other words, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These are big prophecies and super specific. Now, you can't teach just the Old Testament. Uh, on Sundays, I, I'm a big believer that you, the Old Testament is great to be able to speak from, but you always have to anchor it with the New Testament. Yeah. Old Testament is really easy to preach about. Um, it's great stories, juicy stories, all of that. But if we can't put Jesus and grace into it, like it's old, old manner. So here is what Romans from the New Testament says in regards to this. And there's many, many more, but in the moments that I have, there's only a few anchors that I could bring to this. Romans 1 verse 1 to 4 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, I mean, big statements, who as to his earthly life, or another translation says, according to the flesh, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just complicating this stuff. Now, this is after the fact, but bringing the anchor to what was prophesied and then what happened. You see, legitimacy denotes validity. It validates and then mandates an authority. So all of a sudden, if I am, you know, the real true king of England, which is what I thought growing up, because my daddy told me that our heritage came from the Black Prince Edward II of England, and he had a mistress in France, and that's sort of where we came from. And um, it's not how you get here, it's just that you get here. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And so I thought, well, maybe there's a link there, not realizing there's like hundreds of thousands of probably ex-mistresses from kings of England around and so on and so forth, that you've got to be able to prove your validity. But if I was validated, there comes an authority with this. So that's why we've got to understand what's the true validation and legitimacy of Jesus as the Messiah. Matthew begins with the words, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all of a sudden, we need to validate this. Is Jesus Christ the legitimate heir to the throne of King David? How can we be sure that he's the only possible legal and royal Messiah of Israel? The scripture declares that Jesus Christ was a descendant of David. Therefore, his Jewish ancestry is very important to establish his legitimacy as the Jewish Messiah. You still with me? So there are two lineages of the son of David. God promised beforehand through the prophets in the scriptures things concerning the coming of the son of David. Those things related to the place, the nature of his birth, his life, death, and resurrection, even down to the piercing of the side. Um, in scripture, there was so much detail about what had to happen. His Jewish background would demand that he be born of the line of David if he would be eligible, be the legim- legitimate successor, to sit on the great king's throne and reign forever as the true king of Israel. The prophet Jeremiah was specific when he wrote in Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6, of the coming of the royal son of David. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a branch that is in right standing with God. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. I mean, these are big calls. 
In the book of Matthew, he uses at least 40 formal quotations from the Old Testament. And at least 16 times he uses the formula, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, blah, blah, blah. So he kept backing it up. And Matthew was like the Jewy Jew. He was like, he knew his stuff. He lived and breathed this. Matthew traces the origins of Jesus to King David and to Abraham. Matthew begins his genealogy with Abraham and moves forward through 14 generations in history to David. And then his descendants through 14 generations to the Babylonian exile. And then another 14 generations to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, Matthew 1 verse 16. So he did all the analogy of those three different groups for us to realize through Joseph marrying Mary, we have Jesus. Another genealogy is given by Luke. So I'm using Matthew and Luke this morning, which means in the, which uh, moves in the opposite direction. He begins with Joseph. So one began um, all the way from, um, uh, from, from Abraham down to Joseph, Mary's husband. And then the other one is from Joseph going back through David to Abraham and to Adam through Luke 3 verse 23. I know how a bunch of you are thinking some things at the moment. Stick with me. He is giving evidence to show that Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will be given the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end, as in 1 verse 32 to 33 says. Both of the genealogies are dealing with the same person, Jesus the Messiah. Both trace the lineage of Jesus through his adopted father Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. But we've got to look at the legal and the royal rights to the throne of David to bring the legitimacy of Jesus. Because Jesus' legitimacy brings our legitimacy. We're all connected to that. The difficulty we encounter when we look at the two genealogies is quite interesting. There are, they are the lines of two brothers and the children are cousins. Now, far removed. I remember back then it was a little bit different. But Matthew says that Joseph was the son of Jacob who descended from David through David's son and successor, King Solomon. So Joseph came through Solomon's line. However, Luke says that Joseph was the son of Heli, who had descended from David through Nathan, through Luke chapter 3. So through Matthew, Joseph is through Solomon. Through Luke, he is through Nathan, the older brother of Solomon. But it's both talking about Joseph. Did he have two dads? Was he created twice? Like, what is the deal here? This is how it works. Joseph was begotten, fathered by Jacob, and was his natural son, as Matthew 1 verse 16 says. He then became the legal son by marriage or son-in-law of Heli, having married Mary, the daughter of Heli. It does not say Joseph was fathered by Heli, as it doesn't says in the case of being fathered by Jacob. As women were never recognized in genealogies, as, especially as the first, Joseph, the natural Sorry, Joseph, the legal son-in-law of Heli, naturally took the place of Mary in this genealogy of the natural line of Jesus Christ back to Adam. So Mary carried the bloodline through Luke of Nathan straight back to David. So she was of the bloodline of David. As is the rule of genealogies, as in Luke 3 verse 23, the natural line always begins with the man himself and goes backwards as far as can be. But in the royal line, as in Matthew 1, it begins at the source of the dynasty or dynasty, if you're Australian, and ends with himself. We are looking at two lineages of Joseph and Mary respectively. Are you still with me? Because we need to understand this for this whole month. The legitimacy of Christ. 
what this means. Then we understand our legitimacy from the Word of God. You see, each who are descendants of King David. Nathan's line ran on through the years and ultimately produced the Virgin Mary. Solomon's line ran on through the years and ultimately produced Joseph. Can you see the interweaving of how God brought all this together? Is absolutely amazing. But Joseph was not the father of Jesus. He was the husband of Mary, the adopted father of Jesus. The distinction between these two lines of descent from David is between the royal line of those who actually sat on the throne and the legal line of the descent from one eldest son to the next, even though these descendants never actually reigned as kings of Israel. It is important to keep in mind these two lines of descent from King David. Nathan, which is Mary's line in Luke. So we got Luke with Mary, Matthew with Joseph, was the, um, through Solomon, was the older brother of Solomon, but the younger brother took the throne. Solomon was taking Uh, Solomon was the king God chose to reign after David's death, as we know. Normally, however, that would have fallen to the eldest son, Nathan, who would have been king if God had not not given it to Solomon. And when you think about it, Solomon was a little bit naughty as well. And yet God saw how he was interweaving, even, even through mistake and people's brokenness, the seed of the Messiah. Like, it's pretty outstanding. There were no reigning kings in his line of descendants, even though they had the legal right to the throne. When Jesus adopted, sorry, when Joseph adopted Jesus as his legal son, Jesus became both David's direct descendant through David's son Nathan, Mary's side, and David's legal royal heir through Solomon, Joseph's side. The line of Solomon continued down through the centuries until it eventually produced Joseph, who was then betrothed to the Virgin Mary, who would eventually become her husband after she had given birth to Jesus. I mean, and they'd already, they'd automatically already met. It wasn't like Joseph didn't know who Mary was. It was like after this, then he found out pregnant. The, the Holy Spirit came to, the angel came to him to say, hey, you're going to find this out. It's not another guy. Like this is, she hasn't been, a, you know, she hasn't done that. She's been honorable to you. Here's the deal. I still want you to marry. But they're already connected. Even just how it all works is brilliant. However, note very carefully that Jesus was not a descendant of Joseph. However, when Joseph took Mary under his protection and thus became the adoptive father, and I love that because Jesus was was adopted, and then it says he adopts us. Like even the traces of that. Man, I could just stop and have a praise moment right there and get all excited and do a whole other message. Because we get so, you know, in the natural, maybe you've been adopted and some of the, the challenges that come with that. And I think sometimes because of the cultures we've been in and some of the harmful elements of that have caused sort of a negative at times. And yet you see Jesus was adopted in this context and then he adopts. It's actually a really positive word. It's amazing. And so of the divine child, he passed the right of royalty to Jesus. But wait, there's more. There's a divine curse in here. So God doesn't just make it, you know, overcomplicated. He like messes, he brings this thing to make it so hard that there's only one way this could work. Because in Jeremiah 22 verse 30, it talks about, um, tells us that Jesus had been the physical, if he'd been the physical descendant from Joseph, a divine curse would have been on him if he'd succeeded, succeeded, succeeded to the Davidic throne. Jeremiah tells us a terrible curse that was pronounced on King Jehoachin, uh, let's just call him J-Man, that, the, that also calls him Jaconia, 
I don't have time to explain why he has a, a double name, but in Scripture, so if you're like, hang on, he's not in there, but you see Jeconia, you can see how it all works. Um, who was a naughty king. He was the last of the actual reigning kings who descended from King Solomon. And this is what Jeremiah says. It says, this man, J-man, as despised, broken pot, an object no one wants, why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into the land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, even though he had children, blot them out. A man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anywhere anymore in Judah. Joseph came through this bloodline. So if he was Joseph's natural son, he'd have the curse. So God just complicates it. But he complicates for glory. We see it as complicated. For him, he's just a great storyteller. Because of God's curse on J-Man, no king, whoever descended in that line, would be a legitimate king. Through J-Man, Joachim, though he did have children, he was considered childless because none of his descendants were allowed by God to sit on the throne of David and rule Judah. You still with me? Judah's last king was his uncle Zedekiah. The line of rulership passed through J-Man's sons, though none ever occupied the throne. If Joseph had been the physical father of Jesus, Jesus couldn't be it. It would have disqualified him. So he's called to be a royal heir and a legal heir. Because Jesus was a divine child, his adoptive father handed the reign over to him. Therefore, Jesus was a legitimate royal heir to the throne. Many Bible scholars follow this line of thought. One of the great theologians of the last century, Donald Gray Barnhouse, gives an excellent summary. He said, the line that had no curse upon it produced Heli and his daughter of the Virgin Mary and her son, Jesus Christ. He is therefore illegible by the line of Nathan and exhausts that line. The line that had a curse on it produced Joseph and exhausts the line of Solomon. For Joseph's other children now have an elder brother who legally by adoption is a royal heir. So because he was adopted and he's older, he now becomes legally like the boss of the family. He gets all the inheritance. But when God the Holy Spirit begat the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of the virgin, without any use of a human father, the child that was born was the seed of David according to the flesh through Mary. And when Joseph married Mary and took the unborn child under his protective care, giving him that title that had come down to him through his ancestor Solomon, the Lord Jesus became the legal Messiah. He became the royal Messiah. He became the uncursed Messiah, the true Messiah, and the only possible Messiah. Now that needs a clap offering right there. Moreover, because Jesus descended from Mary, who was also a descendant of King David through the lineage of Nathan, he had a legal claim to the throne. The two lines of David focused on the Messiah. No one could ever bring a legitimate claim to the throne of David. Luke presented the physical line of Jesus through his mother, who descended from David through the line of Nathan. In this way, Jesus escaped the curse of Joachim. Donald Barnhouse continues and says, if Jesus is not the Messiah, who is descended from David, according to the Old Testament prophecies, there will never be a Messiah. For Jesus had no human children, and each of his brothers, who are the only possibilities through him another Messiah might descend, had the curse on them and would have passed it on to their children and Jeremiah's prophecy would have been fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the legitimate descendant from the two lines of the King of David. He is the King announced in the Jewish prophecies. He is the King Messiah who is also the Son of God. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No one else can make that claim. He is the only possible legitimate Messiah. There can absolutely be no other. Luke's genealogy makes it clear that Jesus was a legal descendant of David through his son, Nathan, as Luke shares. Matthew's genealogy makes it clear that Joseph, a descendant of Solomon, was Jesus' legal adoptive father. So Jesus traced his royal rights to the throne through Joseph. Jesus Christ is the only legitimate legal Jewish Messiah. And what I love in his baptism is then he got the validation of heaven, the anointing. He is as legit as you can get. He is legally and royally right to rule. We use terms like when someone says, this is like the best meal I've ever had. Like when I tell people who come here, poutine, you've got to try poutine. It's like, it's like heart attack on a plate, but it is so good. One of the phrases people use is, so like, is it legit? Is it legit that good? When you're getting a deal, maybe a car or a house, and it seems too good to be true. Is it legit? Like, is this thing legit? Then you, someone shares of like their boyfriend or their, their girlfriend or, you know, someone that's, you know, a key in their life. Like, okay, is it legit? Is he, is he that good? Is she that good? We use these words to validate legitimacy that then brings an authority. Can I tell you again, Jesus is the legitimate Messiah. There is no other way it could have happened but this way. So remember, over this Easter period, as the band comes up, that Jesus has the legal rights to heaven. He carries the keys to eternity. He's also, see, he also is royal righteousness personified. Through him, we are legally and eternally free with the rights to be royally righteous. He's not just legit, but we are also. So regardless of what comes our way in 2019, let's make the decision together that we are way too legit to ever quit. You're way too legit to ever quit. You are more legit than you'll ever realize. You are more legit to fulfill the call of God on your life than you could ever, ever understand. You are more legit to be that father that God's called you to be than you'll ever realize, to be that mother that you'll ever realize. You are more legit to be that spouse that you could ever dream or even imagine. You are more legit to be that person in the marketplace to make God's name famous than you could ever understand. Other people are going to quit on you. I've had people quit on me, people that I never thought or imagined. I never thought I'd be the family that was the broken family when my dad left. I never thought I would be the guy that had the dad who went bankrupt and ran. I never thought I'd be the guy that had certain friends that said, we'll be mates forever and decided to leave. We're going to have people quit on us, but Jesus won't. And because of that, it empowers us to not quit. There's moments where we all want to quit. There's moments I'm in our marriage, there's times where we looked at each other and we're like, we've chosen not to quit. But if we don't get God on this, and if we don't, I don't change, vice versa, this is going to be a challenge. And we've allowed Jesus into it to help us because He was too legit to quit. Therefore, because of His righteousness on me, His righteousness on you, 
you are way too legit to have to quit. He is for you. He is with you. He's got everything you need. He didn't quit on us. Let's not quit on Him. Amen. Come on, can you give the Lord one more big hand of praise? If you receive that this morning, come on, you can do better than that, church. You can do better than that.